Man, I'll tell you one thing. I am impressed that Tiffany's up here singing like that, pregnant with twins, I mean, blowing it out for Jesus like I lost my breath coming up the steps. I mean, how in the world, man, can you sing like that with two babies rolling around inside you? Man, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Um, Hey, before we jump into the sermon today, a couple things. Uh, First of all, we we had Quintel Hill here last week and for a couple days, and we took up a love offering for him. I want you to know you guys gave that brother $15,000. That's great. I told him. Now... Man, here's the deal. You have to go get another pedicure. <laughs> so if you don't know what that means, go online, listen to the sermons, you'll figure it out, man. Uh, so, yeah, but here's the thing. Every time you guys give, more ministry happens. Every time you give, more ministry happens. And because you give, there's a whole lot of ministry going on around here. Praise the Lord for that. The other thing I want to mention to you is, uh, so this coming Saturday, uh, we're having our Love and Respect Live event. And uh, so I, 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 I got to be honest with you, man. Uh, Emerson Egerich, uh, the whole Love and Respect concept has impacted my life so much. I can't even begin to tell you how many couples I've met with in my life and gave most of them a copy of that book and said, if you'll read this book, it'll change your marriage. Because it's going to introduce you to things you probably never heard before. So when we had the opportunity to bring him here in person, man, I thought, wow, man, this is going to sell out fast and people are going to love it. And I want you to know, man, it's rare that I'm disappointed with y'all. Now, let me, let me be Pastor Dad a minute and scold you a second. Man, registrations are pitiful. Now, I don't tell you that to make you feel guilty. I tell you that because you are going to miss a phenomenal opportunity. Now, I, I want to put it in context for you. It, in marriage world, love and respect, uh, Emerson Egerich, coming here would be akin to, in marriage world, would be akin to Taylor Swift coming to Eden and bringing her boyfriend, Travis Kelsey, And they decide that while they're here, since he's here, let's go ahead and have the Super Bowl in Eden. I mean, it it, it would be that. And that is coming here next weekend. So, if you're not married, you need to come to figure out how to be a good spouse when you get married. If you are married and haven't signed up, shame on you. It's easy. Get your phone out. Hit that QR code. Go to the website. There's so many ways to sign up. Now, seriously, though, let me, let me say this. If you're listening, say amen. amen. Life is too short not to have a fantastic marriage. And this is a great tool to get you there. Sign up. Man, it is an incredible thing, and you don't want to miss it. So tomorrow, when I look at those numbers, man, when they go, I'm going to say, man, that's my church. (laughs) Let's get on this, man. Y'all going to love it. And if you're married and your spouse says, I'm not going, you come anyway. It'll help you. I guarantee you. So come, come, come. Love and respect. You're going to love it. All right. All right. There are days 
that life is hard. You guys agree with that? I mean, there are days that life is hard. You, you know when life is really hard? When there's death. A few months ago, Steve Hale, great brother, great servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if you knew Steve Hale, you liked him. I mean, he was just that kind of guy. Sat down in the recliner in his living room and went to heaven. Wow. That just, that fast. A few weeks ago, Sarah Evans, this vibrant young lady, fantastic mom, had a great career ahead of her. That fast. Went to heaven. A few days ago, Ashley Johnson, this incredible mom, wonderful Jesus gal, I mean, man, love Jesus, shine Jesus everywhere she went, friendly, I mean, just this fantastic young lady. Spent Christmas with her kids, and two days later, she was on a ventilator. Then went to heaven. Four days ago, Bryce Cabe, who is Jason Barrow's neighbor, 10-year-old boy, died after a long battle with cancer. Hmm. You know, death forces us to scream, why? Why? And the truth is, we rarely get an answer to why this side of heaven. I mean, we know theologically it's a broken world where bad things happen and there's death because there's sin, but why a little boy? Why a fantastic man? Why two great young ladies? So it kind of forces us not just to ask why, but it's so important that we understand what's on the other side of why. You know what's on the other side of our why? The cross. The gospel. Because it's the only thing that makes any sense. Here's what I know about all four of these people. They're in heaven, and death didn't win. You know, during Bryce's battle with cancer, fear was part of that journey for him. And then his parents started sharing Jesus with him. He trusted Jesus as his Savior, and the fear went away. And so four days ago when he went to heaven, he did it without a shadow of fear. Death is our great enemy. 
but so that death doesn't rule over us, God chose not to exempt himself from death. On the cross, Jesus died our death. And when Jesus rose again three days later, he conquered death for everyone who will believe. And because of what Jesus did, it's not just about death not winning when we die. It's about not fearing death while we're alive, and it's about living a Jesus-filled, gospel-centered life. We still grieve. We still grieve when death comes. When death comes to somebody we love, we grieve because the more we love their presence, the more we grieve their death. But we grieve with this hope. I love what Alistair Begg said. Look at this. Death for the Christian is to fall asleep in the arms of Jesus and waking up to find out that you're home. That's great, isn't it? You know, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. I mean, he's just saying, we go through hard stuff, but we're not defeated. And here's why we're not defeated. Always carrying about in the body, our body, the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. You know, Paul is saying, don't ever let your heart get too far from the cross. We, we always carry around in our body the dying of the Lord Jesus. We carry around with us the cross because that's how we live for Jesus. So today, we had a baptism, which is a picture of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We're also going to observe the Lord's Supper, both are all about remembering the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, the cross has meant many different things to many different people throughout history. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the casual passerby, to them, the cross was just another criminal dying at the hands of Roman tyranny. To Simon the Cyrene, the cross was an interruption of his Passover celebration. To the religious leaders, the cross was a time to celebrate their victory over Jesus and mock him. To the thieves, one cross meant death and defiance. One cross meant hope. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. To the centurion who was overseeing the crucifixion, the cross meant that they had just crucified God's son. To Jesus' mother, Mary, the cross was absolute anguish. How could it end this way? 
This is not what I pondered in my heart in Bethlehem. To the disciples, the cross meant the dream was over. They just missed it. Whatever it was, now it's over. To some people today, the cross is just a religious symbol. To some people today, the cross is nothing more than a piece of jewelry. But to us, the church, the cross is the greatest act of love ever demonstrated. The source of our forgiveness and salvation, our victory over death. So in the Bible, in the book of Hebrews, especially chapters 9 and 10, it gives us so much insight into the cross. So I want to just go through some things here before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, just to prepare our hearts. So would you just join me in prayer right now? God, we're going to open your word right now, and we're going to think about and see what you say about the cross and what it means in our lives. And God, could you right now please just prepare us? God, would you prepare our own hearts? Just open our ears and our eyes and open our hearts. God, prepare us to go to the cross that we don't miss its power. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Here's the first thing I want you to know about the cross. Because of the cross, write this down, our sins are completely forgiven. Boy, that's a big deal, right? Because of the cross, our sins are completely forgiven. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Under the old covenant... The priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Now, stop right there. So, in the old covenant, the old covenant was the law, and the way you had a right relationship with God was to keep all the law. But it was impossible for anybody to keep all the law. So, God made provision for our relationship with him under the old covenant, Israel's relationship with God. They would bring an animal for a priest to sacrifice, and day after day, sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. And the blood of those animals was an atonement for the sin of Israel, God's people, because they couldn't keep the law. That's the Old Covenant. Now, two things we need to know about the Old Covenant uh, sacrifices. They were always a symbol of the one final sacrifice to come, the Lord Jesus. Secondly, the amount of sacrifice was staggering. The number of animals killed Staggering. Day after day after day after day, all day. Animal killed, sacrificed. Animal killed, sacrificed. Blood everywhere. Thousands and thousands and thousands of animals. Um, maybe you're thinking right now, those poor animals. Right. I mean, 
That's the point. God was accepting the death of the innocent in place of the death of the guilty. So there was a choice. God can kill us for our sin because the wages of sin is death, or he would accept the blood of these animals on our behalf. That's the old covenant. But the amount of blood shows the magnitude of the sin. Now, before we get thrown off on Israel too much, it'd be a lot worse today. If we were still under the old covenant, you couldn't kill enough animals, I doubt. They would run out of animals on planet Earth to cover all the sins of this world. All of that is a picture of the cross. All of that is what Jesus did for us. Now, back to the text, verse 12. Look what it says. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, the cross, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's us. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is a new covenant. Now, the old covenant was about the law. You break the law. It requires blood. There can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Animal after animal after animal after animal after animal after animal. But this new covenant, one sacrifice, Jesus, that all those other sacrifices pointed to anyway, under this new covenant, I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So under the old covenant, the law was written in stone, the Ten Commandments. But under this new covenant with Jesus, it's, it's personal. God lives in us and he writes his truth on our hearts. He puts it in our minds. Verse 17, then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifice. Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. One sacrifice forever done. You get this right. All of us have a sin problem. Every one of us have a sin problem. And the price of that sin is death and hell. So there are only two possibilities. We pay the price ourselves, die and go to hell. Or someone pays it for us who doesn't have a sin problem. That's what Jesus did. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, the old covenant, and the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. The cross is a forever reminder of what Jesus did for us. Here's another thing I want you to know about the cross. Because of the cross, write this down, we can have a constant 
We can have constant access to and intimacy with God. So in Mark's gospel, he gives us a little detail during the crucifixion, but it has huge significance. Mark chapter 15, verse 37, and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, God's people, Israel, would have known exactly the significance of the curtain. It was four-inch thick woven tapestry. It was 45 feet tall inside the temple, and it separated the holy place from the most holy place. Now, in the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat of God. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the law, and the mercy seat separated the law from blood. So the priest would come in once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest, and he would sacrifice a lamb without spot or blemish, and the blood on the mercy seat, mercy separated God's people from the law and the penalty of the law. So God showed mercy with blood. God shows us mercy. He doesn't kill us because of our sin. He died for us with his own blood. So inside the Holy of Holies was this mercy seat, and there was blood and sacrifice. And the high priest would go in and sacrifice for the people of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the moment he died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, opening up the Holy of Holies, opening up this place. Now, Hebrews gives us the significance of the curtain tearing in a very, at the very time, at the very second, Jesus was bearing our sin. Look what it says, Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Not the most holy place of the temple, but the most holy place in heaven. Verse 20. By his death, look, here it is, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place in heaven. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, that's Jesus, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood and made us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Wow. So there's this picture temple gets torn. You know, a lot of Bible scholars say that it's possible that when that happened, the high priest was in the Holy of Holies at that moment sprinkling blood on the altar for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. But now, just get that picture in your mind. Now we are the ones sprinkled with the blood, takes away our sin, clears our conscience. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, there's a new covenant with God. We don't need a priest and a lamb to gain access to God. Jesus did that for us. 
<laughs> and I love the picture here that we go right into the presence of God. So when we pray, we don't need to go through a priest. We don't need an animal sacrifice. All of that's done. It's a brand new covenant. It's written on our hearts. It's written in our minds. We've been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And because of the blood of Jesus, we have access into the most holy place of heaven to talk with God in the most intimate of ways. Huh. You see what the cross did? It gives us access to God. So God, who is holy, can allow us in his presence because we've been sprinkled free of sin by the blood of Jesus. That's why when we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. That's what gives us access. Here's another thing. Write this down. Because of the cross, we have complete hope in God's promises. <laughs> you know, I'm sure like me, most of you have had all kinds of people make you all kinds of promises. And when some people make us promise, we believe them. When other people make us promises, not so much, right? But look at Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, that's the cross, that's the gospel, that's Jesus. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Don't you love that, man? That's what the cross means. You know, when I go to the cross, it always has a profound effect on me. When I just... In my mind, in an attitude of worship, just go to the cross. Powerful. Powerful. <laughs> I see God's love so clearly. I see God's wrath so clearly. I see myself clearly. Why would God do that for me? I see my circumstances clearly. If God would do that, he's going to do anything else I need. I see other people clearly. How do I have the right to withhold love and forgiveness from somebody else when God did that for me? I see pain and suffering clearly. God didn't exempt himself from that. I see victory clearly. Then something happens. It leaks out. I'm at the cross and everything's clear. But I drift. And that leaks out. And now all of a sudden what was so clear huh, isn't quite so clear. And then I'm prideful. Then I'm discouraged and defeated. Then I'm confused about what's true. Then I doubt God. I love what John MacArthur said. He said, Satan continues his effort to make sin less offensive, heaven less appealing, hell less horrific, and the gospel less urgent. 
That happens when it leaks out. But when we go to the cross and all who God is is demonstrated there and it fills us up, everything becomes clear. I believe that is the reason Jesus said, remember the cross. So how do we do that? How do we remember the cross? The Lord's Supper. That's what it's for. The Lord's Supper is a huge deal for Jesus' church. You know why? Because it takes us to the cross. It reminds us all that the cross means. That's why here at OBC, when we're going to have the Lord's Supper, we're going to sing about the cross, we're going to talk about the cross, we're going to see what the Bible says about the cross, we're going to do all of those things. Man, most of my young life growing up in church, when it was time for the Lord's Supper, it was something just kind of stuck on the end of the service. It lost its meaning. That's why it deserves our full attention because of all it means, because of all it does in our life. So we have to prepare. <laughs> you know, it is such a huge deal that it requires huge consideration on our part, preparation on our part. We can never, ever approach the Lord's Supper in a haphazard way. So how do we prepare for the Lord's Supper? And 1 Corinthians 11 gives us very clear instruction. Here's the first thing we do to prepare. Look around and reconcile. Isn't it interesting that the Lord's Supper includes our relationship with each other, not just our relationship with God, because we're His church. 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen says, but in the following instructions about the Lord's Supper, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church and to some extent, I believe it. I mean, Paul's just saying, what are you doing? Why are you being so selfish? Why is your focus on what somebody else is doing wrong? Why is your focus on yourself? Then he says, verse 20, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. Wow, you're not interested in remembering the cross. You're not interested in understanding our need for Jesus, our need to love each other. Verse 21, for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some grow hungry and others get drunk. I mean, wow, that sounds like a great church. The point is, the Lord's Supper forces us as a church to make sure our relationship with each other is good. Otherwise, there's division in the church. 
And we have these checkups where we check ourselves. There's another way we repair, prepare for the Lord's Supper. First, we look around. Secondly, we look back and remember. Look at these powerful words. 1 Corinthians 11, 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed. The Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant. There it is. Between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with his blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. I mean, powerful words. I mean, of all the things Jesus could have specifically said, remember this. It was the cross that he said, remember. Keep doing this. Keep doing this. And here we are, God's church, 2,000 years later, still doing it. Still remembering because of the power of the cross. Paul just reminds this church, it's all about remembering Jesus. It's so easy to make church about everything but Jesus. Doesn't that sound like an odd thing to say? It's so easy to make church about everything but Jesus. If you don't think that's true, go to a whole lot of different churches. I'm going to tell you, man, when you go in other churches, I'm not acting like we're the only great church, but we're, we're a Jesus-focused church. And I tell you, I go into some churches, and I, whew, I mean, you know, where the ivy grows up the wall and the deacons sleep down the halls. <laughs> we got to be about Jesus. If we're not about Jesus, what are we doing here? We're about Jesus. We're about Jesus. It's not about us. It is not about us. It's about Jesus. So we look back and we remember. How about this one? Here's another thing we prepare. Another way we look forward and rejoice. First Corinthians eleven twenty six says, "For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again." I mean, so we're also saying He's coming back. Hey, the Lord's Supper isn't just about remembering what Jesus did; it's remembering what He's going to do. Jesus is coming back. One more thing we do to prepare. We look in and repent. Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That's big. When you just do it haphazardly, when you just do it because it's getting passed around, you're guilty of the blood and the body of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat and drink, eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, the church, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some of you have even died. But if you would examine yourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. I mean... Let's be clear what that says. God killed some people 
in the church in Corinth because they dishonored the Lord's Supper. Because it's not just a religious ceremony. It's not just, eh, whatever. It's about the cross and all that that means. So, all of that instruction is for us about the Lord's Supper. And it really is about doing two things. One, examining ourselves, our relationship with God. And two, examining our relationship with everyone else. So we're going to do that. And we're going to do it right now. So I want you to do something for me. I want you to just bow your heads and close your eyes. And this is serious, serious stuff. God is paying attention. And God loves it when we honor his son, Jesus. So we start by examining ourselves. So could you just, as earnestly as you can, can you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, would you show me the things in my heart, the things in my life that have gotten between me and you? The sin that I no longer even pay attention to that I need to repent of right now because that's the purpose of the cross. The blood of the cross forgives us of our sin. Now be still, be quiet. Let God show you that sin that's gotten in. I believe God just answered a lot of prayers right then. Thank you, God, for showing me my sin. So right now we're going to do exactly what the Bible says to do. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. So right now, could you just ask God to forgive you of those sins he just made you aware of? Thank you, Jesus. The second reason we celebrate the Lord's Supper is so that there's unity in the body of Christ, the church. And maybe some of the sin that's crept into your life is about a relationship with another believer. So can you do this right now just as honestly as you can? Can you pray this prayer, Jesus? Would you show me the things that have gotten between me and a brother or sister? Maybe it's because of my own pride. Maybe it's my own unforgiveness. Maybe it's because I just thought they were wrong. God, could you show me those things and who that is right now? I believe God just answered a lot of prayers there. And I want you to do something for me right now. You, you, you see, the way we deal with that sin is we go to that person and ask for forgiveness. 
And for the people that God just brought to mind, can, if you can make a commitment now, before you come to the Lord's Supper, to reconcile with that person and seek their forgiveness, could you just lift your hand up really high and let me see it? Just make that commitment right now. There's something about making a commitment. Just raise your hand up really high and let me see. I see you. I see you. I see you. Father, we come to you now to remember the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, you ready? Let's go to the cross.